If you've been listening to the Truest Fan Blueprints, you know that Phil and I want to see you, our listeners, succeed. And that's one of the reasons we've created a brand new program called the Truest Fan Roundtable. It's your way to take a test drive of our coaching and mentoring process, a process that will help you take your business and your life to new levels of success. And you can try it out for free. Just go to truestfancoaching.com forward slash free dash access and sign up. That's truestfancoaching.com forward slash free dash access. I hope to see you there. In this episode of the Truest Fan Podcast, you'll meet Phil Calandra, a financial advisor and leader of the Atlanta team of Appella Capital Management. And this is a great time to meet Phil because Phil is an optimist. He's a cheerleader. He knows how to lead people, whether it's his clients or his team or his family. And he shares some timeless advice, advice that he learned from his grandfather, the importance of doing right and the importance when things get tough of staying in there and pitching, not giving up. You're going to learn a lot from this conversation with Phil. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Truest Fan Podcast. And now, here's your host, Rob Brown. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Truest Fan Podcast. I am super excited today because, as I've been promising the last few weeks, um, I'm going to be introducing some guests to the Truest Fan Podcast. And today I have my first guest, Phil Calandra, who is with Appella Capital down in Atlanta. And all um, full disclosure, I guess that's important. Uh, Phil is a client of mine. So uh, I know Phil very well, and, I, and I'm positive that he'll be somebody that you'll want to listen to and learn from as we go through the, um, the interview today. So welcome, Phil. Good to see you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to uh, to have you um, have you on here. So, Phil, to start out, um, because um, as most of my listeners know, part of the reason that I wrote True as Fan is because I am a huge Cleveland Indians baseball fan, and that's how I came up with the whole True as Fan idea. I, I need to know who is your favorite baseball team. Well, you kind of gave it away when you said in the introduction from Atlanta, we're the reigning World Series champs. So that would definitely be the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> well, um, that does make sense. But I, I do know you know people, you're very close to people who live in Atlanta and Atlanta is not their uh, number that's, one That's team, true. So. That's true. And and if you live in Atlanta right now and are not a Braves fan, it means you are transient or dropped here from another planet like Chicago. <laughs> Oops. Uh, yeah. no, uh, we, won't, we won't give that one. Uh, we won't give that one away. That's right. So um, and then another thing I, I think is great 
for people who are uh, listening to the podcast to get maybe some other information about you. What's your, what's your favorite hobby? What's something that you like doing outside of your work and going to Braves games? Yeah, that, well, that's that's a big one. Um, you know, I've always tried to be physically active, and that led me down a pathway post-college and post-early career into triathlons. So I like to swim, bike, and run or read. So I guess that would be the the fourth. <laughs> but I guess um, swimming, biking, and running together is kind of like the exact opposite of reading, right? <laughs> one requires yes. lots of uh, motion and activity, and the other one that's you can why you just, add um, the that's why you add the reading into it. <laughs> okay, that's okay. the way so that, that they, you prop your feet up. <laughs> Okay, that's re- the recovery. I think they call it right. Uh, recovery right. time is reading. Reading time. So, so great. Yeah, and that's um, obviously a very high intensity hobby. That tells me, um, as I know about you, that you're a pretty competitive guy. Yeah, that's accurate. And I think any type of balance that comes in your work personal life to have that balance, everybody's going to have some pursuit outside of work. And for me, triathlons, running, swimming, following a a discipline training regimen, it's the discipline. It's consistency, it's discipline. And then because I'm somewhat competitive, it's benchmarking myself, right? uh, I'm certainly not the fastest. Um, I'm not going to win trophies in every event, but I'm going to compete against myself and use that consistency and discipline just the same as I would in business. I'll do it outside of business. So, yep. Yeah, perfect, perfect. It makes um, makes perfect sense, um, and I know that uh, is really important to you. So um, I, I have a, I have some questions, um, and for those of you um, like me, because this is the first time I'm doing this or kind of getting used to this format, what I want to do is ask questions of my guests that are similar, so we can kind of relate stories and and why people feel the way that they do about how competitive they are, the way that they treat other people, what their goals might be in their business. And one thing that I think is always fascinating to ask someone is, you know, when you think about advice that you've been given over the course, you know, of the years that you've been around, I'm sure there's been more than one person who's given you some advice, whether you wanted it or not. Is there like one nugget or a couple of nuggets that really jump out to you that you go back to over and over again is maybe a guiding principle? Wow. Um, you know, I think so much, so much of my early, uh, development as a young man and as the, then as a young adult was from my grandfather. And I remember his words, uh, it was two words really do right. And when you're a young person, you don't necessarily know what do right means. But to me, it started to frame over the years, do the right thing, do right by your family, do right by your friends, do right in all aspects of your business, especially in the field that we're in, in financial services. I think you could probably make a pretty large case that 
Wall Street and the financial services industry um, doesn't always do right, whether you're classified as a fiduciary or not. So I think that's probably, I I hear those words from him uh, every single day. The other thing I would say quickly is because we have a, you know, affinity for baseball. He always used to tell me when I was younger, stay in there and pitch. I only played two seasons of baseball, but he always, I hear him telling me, stay in there and pitch, which was his way of saying, don't give up, don't come out of the game, don't get, uh, you know, distracted, stay in there and pitch. So I think those would be two things that I'd share. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. And, you know, those are two, like, quick phrases that are easy to conceptualize and picture and, and obviously you can envision them because you can you can hear or maybe even see your grandfather saying them to you but they're they're also great because there's something that you can go back to all the time right do right becomes and a mantra when you, too. yeah and when you get into that situation where where you're not you're not trying to you're, you're not deciding between robbing a bank or not robbing a bank but but making life decisions that are important say let's Let's do right. right. Let's do right. Let's do this right. And then maybe it's not going the way that you hoped that it would go. And you say, you know, I, I'm doing the right thing. So I'm just going to stay in here and pitch and I'm just going to keep keep going that's at right. it. And so you don't give up. Exactly. Yeah, that is, um, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's great advice for all of us. Um, you know, kind of in that same vein, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot right now is there is a ton of negativity in the world. And it's really easy to feel beat up because, you know, every time we mm-hmm turn on the TV or listen to somebody engaged in a, I don't know, a political conversation. It feels like they're trying to beat each other up, trying to one up. And it, and it kind of carries over. You start to wonder, well, am I, you know, am I doing the right thing? And I think it takes right. away somewhat from your own kind of mental toughness and that importance of, of believing in yourself. Do you, do you agree with that? Does that, does that resonate with you at all? Well, absolutely. I think for me personally, optimism is the only realism. I don't really, you'd have to sit me down and talk to me in very small words um, and short sentences to be able to convince me otherwise. But you're so right, Rob, in that the daily bombardment, the 24-7 click-by-click news cycle that we are exposed to is always in the negativity. It's always got a negative vein. And I think that's probably because the oldest axiom and medium is bad news is good copy. But if you look at all of our lives as Americans and, and how blessed we are in this country, optimism can only be the real only realism because look at my uh, 52 years walking on this earth. I've been blessed beyond measure, greater than any generation previously in my family. And I think the next 50 years are going to be even exponentially better. So I think you have to be able to turn that out. I try and coach my clients as they're depending on me and, and Trish and Chris Ellen and Davis, our team at Appella, they're depending on us to help them reach their best, most cherished financial goals. And a lot of people can't tune out negativity because it is just, uh, we're, we're in a swarm of it. Right. You know, um, that actually has me thinking about the word fear, because that seems to be another kind of 
popular word today. We're being told to be fearful. And so those who might view optimism as the a right way to go about things, uh, how, do you, how do you view fear? How do you, what, what are you afraid of? Or are you afraid of anything? Well, I, I think fear is a natural God-given emotion. Uh, we all experience it. You just try to every day not allow that fear to come in the, the hen house and destroy all of the beings that are in there. Um, and that's the same thing I think happens to people. We we and and truthfully, as a business owner and and entrepreneur over the years, I certainly had a scarcity mentality at times. Probably it was to my detriment, but it also kept me sharper and looking down the road and saying, well, how do I get myself out of this? How how do I stay in there and pitch and not let that negativity or fear overcome me? But yeah, I think fear is a natural God-given emotion, but so is optimism. So is, uh, you know, any of the other emotions, compassion, uh, success. And the, you know, the more you build upon that, I think the, the better we get at things. Fear, you know, I would say fear and stress, right, are, they're imposed internally. I don't have to get stressed out about anything um, unless I choose to. Same thing with fear. Um, but it, nonetheless, it's, you know, it's part of every human nature. It's part of human beings. So yeah, no, a- absolutely, absolutely. But I, I think that's important to think about because you know we. I, I think you you expressed that very well there at the end. It's 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 a choice. You can choose to be fearful or stressed. And obviously, there are there are things that happen in our lives that we that we fear. We have you know something that happens to the health of one of our loved ones. You know, it's hard not to be right. fearful, but can we approach that fear in a way where we acknowledge the difficulty of the situation, uh, but also bring in our belief that being optimistic is right. going to be a way to help um, get through that. Right. Well, and I think too, your life's experiences and your own maturity aid you in that. And if you're a young person listening to the podcast today, and maybe you don't have a tremendous amount of experience, maybe it's in business or relationships, but are there other people, are there other truest fans all around you in your life that you can rely on or lean on to help you bridge that gap until your own maturity develops? Because I, we've all had situations, I have many personal relationship, you know, family issues that I didn't have maturity and I didn't have an understanding of what was going on at the time, but I tried to find uh, a pathway forward by leaning on other truest fans to use your, you know, perfectly uh, synced, you know, description of people that we need in our lives. Right, right. Yeah. And I I appreciate your saying that because I think that really is important uh, because we also live in a world where, you know, kind of all the information that we need to have can be readily available to us. And, you know, just because we read a tweet or read a blog post, you know, we can think, well, gosh, I am very knowledgeable. I know everything about that. And and that's overstating it. But but we get this sense of of self-importance or of just like we know, like like we're a know-it-all. But it isn't until sometimes we have the benefit of putting in some years and going through some of the experiences that that knowledge turns into wisdom. And that wisdom is the thing I think that you're referring to that 
truest yeah. fans uh, appreciate about themselves uh, because they can share it, but they also appreciate it about others because sometimes you need help and you want to reach out to that person who's your cheerleader who will give you that wisdom back and tell you, hey, right. be optimistic, do right, you know, whatever whatever it is that yeah. keeps you on that right uh, right path. Right. Well, I think too, that's why mentorship programs work. That's why parenting a traditional family, uh, whether the mother and the father are married, it could be divorce situations. My sons came through that, but we both were active in parenting. We wanted to make sure that we were instilling upon them those things that they couldn't do for themselves or didn't have the maturity or the experience. The truest fan had to give them that to a certain extent. Right. And, and you and your wife, um, even though you had split, were truest fans of your sons through thick and thin. Absolutely. In fact, I think you take them to a few Braves games when you, um, when you get a chance. <laughs> Hope, hopefully you'll get to well, uh, Cleveland sometime soon. Don't need to do that. But we did. We were fortunate enough to go to game five of the World Series last year. And I can tell you that is an event that I certainly would never forget. And I know that my sons will never forget. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I can uh, I can just tell by the look on your uh, on your face. The people listening to this podcast can't uh, actually see. Are you ready to discover your true purpose, live with impact and build an ever greater legacy? then you need to make time for what truly matters most. Go to truestfan.com challenge to begin the free Truest Fan 7-Day Quick Start. So, you know, uh, <laughs> one of the lessons of being a Truest Fan is that uh, smiles and kind words go a long way, that they're, that they're really important. You know, are there things or little habits that you have or tricks that you play on a regular basis with your family or your clients or your team that you, that you use to try to, you know, pick them up and, and let them know that you're thinking about them and you care about them? You know, I, I think that's probably a, an area for improvement. To be honest, I am very driven. I'm very, uh, I I think that I put on myself a never ending, uh, I I raise the bar on myself. So I think one of the things that I could have improvement in as a leader, as as a manager, as a father, is to step away from that raising of the bar and be more empathetic and and be able to do more of that. But I think that the way that you do it is the way a good coach does, you know, tries to recognize the good inputs. And when the outcome doesn't perform the way we would like, as long as we've put in the best input, the outcome isn't always something we can control. But, I, you know, yeah, I think that's how I would answer that. I, everybody could be more empathetic. I know I could be. Right. Yeah. No, I just I was just curious about that because I think that's something to think about because it's so easy to forget that uh, there are people who need that attaboy, you know, and even if it's a situation where we might have to tell somebody on our team that they need to improve their performance, if you start that conversation by letting them know how much you appreciate them and what they do and that the thing that you want them to improve isn't because they're a bad person. It's just because they just you know, something that they did isn't working the way that you would like it to work. And if they realize it, they probably wouldn't like it to work that way either. 
Right. Yeah, I, I think that in that line, and I'm not the first one to ever say this, but you really can't motivate others. You can create an environment in which they will prosper, they will improve, they will up their game. But the notion of motivating others, I've heard that said, and I tend to agree with it. We, we, can't motiv- we can motivate ourselves, hard to motivate others, but you have to create an environment that allows them to be the best version of themselves. And that even might still, it, it still may fall short from the bar that somebody else may set. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. In fact, I just had that conversation last week with the client was saying, how do I motivate so-and-so? They're just, you know, they're just failing and they say all the right things and they tell me they like the work they're doing. They like working with me. They love our clients, but you know, they're always falling short. How do I motivate them? And I I had to answer honestly, you know, um, you just have to create an an environment, as you said, where they feel supported. Um, They are recognized for things they do well, but when they need a little bit of extra kick in the rear end, they get that too. And it's real. And I think that's, that's what works over time. Yeah. And I think, again, it's we can control our inputs. We can't control the outcomes. So in in creating an environment that you can have people flourish and, and grow, um, at the end of the day, I think it's upon them. They have to want to grow. They have to want to flourish. Um, and And then sometimes the hardest thing is maybe that particular individual is not in the proper uh, role. The human capital has been deployed uh, in an inefficient way. And that's something that happens. Right. So let me kind of turn that a little bit. Think about that in relationship to your clients. So when you're working with your clients and you're helping them plan, you're doing financial plan, you're helping them plan for your for their retirement. Um, how does that coaching, that creating the right environment work best for you and, and helping clients see that they're on the right track and they're in working with you, they're part of the right team? Right. I think all good financial outcomes will come from a progression in this order and only in this order. The first is goals. The second is the plan itself. And the third is the funding medium, the portfolio, the investments. It's a progression that has to follow in that order. And once you have the right plan designed for goal attainment, you become a very goal-driven, planning-focused investor as opposed to what most people are doing out there, which is they're market-driven and current event-focused, and they're thinking that if they can just get to beat the S&P 500, as a silly example, that somehow they're going to achieve all their financial goals but they haven't articulated what the goal even is. Uh, For example, a date-specific, dollar-specific retirement, whatever that means to somebody. So I think that progression has to take place. Then I'm constantly communicating, coaching, doing video communications to help people stay on track. And in many instances, 80% of what I do at any given time is really behavioral modification. It's getting people to not blow the plan up. In other other words, blow themselves up. Uh, Because Wall Street, we were talking about the negativity. Financial journalism is forever going to create failed investors because they're not goal-driven and planning-focused. They're market 
they got to find a reason why the market is in a little bit of a downturn. And then tomorrow, there's going to be another reason why the market is up 2%. Uh, and that's when a behavioral coach becomes the best thing they could ever pay for. But that's not what Wall Street really prescribes to people. So I think it's behavioral coaching and, uh, again, creating environment with my experience and knowledge to help people reach their most cherished financial goals. Outside of that, why do we have any portfolio investments? It means nothing. Yeah, great, uh, great point. So tell me, um, who is your ideal client? So who, what is the type of person that you like to work with the most that appreciates that environment uh, that you're creating? That is really a great question because I have always in nearly 20 years of working with clients, I always struggled with the notion of having a minimum because when you, when you would say to someone, you know, what's your ideal client, many cases you'll hear, well, they have a million dollars in investable net worth or half a million dollars of, in, you know, 401k rollover, whatever it is. I always had a problem with that. I was raised by a single mother who never would have had financial counsel ever. She had three kids at home and was making $16,000 a year, one of them entering Florida State University with no chance in you-know-what to be able to provide assistance. So I went in building my firm not necessarily feeling that I had a dollar amount for the ideal client. So with that said, I'd say my ideal client now is somebody that's passionate about their own goals, they're going to listen to good, rational counsel, and they're going to allow the plan to play itself out. Um, they're going to be good listeners, and they're going to be good questioners. I want my client to ask, why are we doing this? Help me understand that. And, and generally, those relationships get deeper and deeper and more rooted in, uh, you know, like I said, their, their goal, their most cherished financial goals. I think that something magically happens if I were to demographically frame it. Something magically happens in the life of people's finances when they reach 50 years old. Uh, and I'm past that. Uh, we both are. I'm just a little <laughs> past it. But something kind of goes off in people's mind in America. They turn 50 and they, for the first time, many people recognize, holy cow, I'm, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years away from this life-changing altering event, which we call retirement. It's really the point in which you just you stop going to your job or 9 to 5 and now you're you're looking to that financial independence i don't want to have an alarm clock to wake me up i want to get up and choose to do what i do i'm not going to have a paycheck i'm going to be generating playchecks and it 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 begins to happen i think in uh, the early 50s so ideally i'd like to see and meet people that are you know 50 55 have a runway long enough that we can correct any mistakes but then make sure that the flight plan and the and the pathway helps them achieve what they want to achieve. I don't want to take on a client that is destined to fail, then I'm complicit in the failure. And uh, right. I, I right. Wall Street firms are pretty complicit in a lot of failure. I don't want to be that advisor. <laughs> right. I think you really uh, put that well, Phil. And, I, and in thinking about the way that you were describing that relationship that you have with clients, I think one of the things that you said that really jumps out to me in the way that you are really that uh, cheerleader, that truest fan of your clients is that unlike some advisors that I meet and speak with, you you like questions and you like difficult questions. Um, you don't, you may not like 
difficult people who are, you know, irrational when they ask questions where they're just trying to, you know, beat you up or make a point. But that's, I think that's part of that relationship is that that client, that ideal client that you enjoy working with knows that when they have that, they get some news in their life or they read something about the financial markets or whatever's going on, they know that they can come to you and ask a question and you're not going to go, hey, you have a plan. Don't worry about that question. I'm not going to, I'm not going to answer it. Yeah, and I don't think as a as a advice giver, I never want to tell somebody in a glib way, don't worry about that, don't pay any attention, trust me, right? That that's that's not what it's about. I think a good working relationship is built on the premise that we have a common philosophical belief on how we're going to get to and through this retirement game and putting in these pla- in place things that I just believe in. I, I think so much of financial advice today comes at it more from, you mentioned fear. I, I think I look across the marketing complex and the, you know, now with social media, I had a radio show here in Atlanta for almost nine years, and I can remember hearing other competing radio programs, and they were just driving this narrative that the world is coming to an end, this time is different, and what they really are doing is creating a sales environment based around fear. And why would we ever want to do that? I want to be, I want to tell the truth. I want to do right. And I'm going to do exceptionally well by doing doing right and telling the truth. It seems in a lot of instances, that's not the case today because people are trying to focus on a transaction rather than, like you said, the relationship and really understanding what they're trying to accomplish. If I do that, I truly believe all the rest of it just takes care of itself and I think that's part of the truest fan mantra or belief that um, that I love. Right. And obviously the results that your business has had in growing over the years and attracting wonderful people to um, to work with is, is proof positive of that. So this might sound like a silly question, but one thing that I know a lot of advisors struggle with is making it really obvious as to whether or not they're open for new business, that they're actually accepting clients. So I just want to ask that straight out. Are you accepting clients to your practice? Yes, we are open for business. We are accepting new clients. However- So what's the best way? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, however, I want to make certain on the very front end of a newly created relationship with a client that we philosophically agree that we will both be committed to the progression I talked about, goals, plan, and then the portfolio. And if we have that agreement, then I'm absolutely thrilled to help anybody that I can. I I will say that over the last several months, as we have uh, merged and transitioned our practice with Appella Capital, I've been blessed with a tremendous opportunity. I can see the moment in time coming rapidly that I won't take new clients because I want to service at my utmost uh, 100% potential that I, I just may not have the capacity to do that. Appella certainly would with associate advisors, but Phil individually, um, I may see that day. Yeah. And it's uh, something that I'm sure we'll work on as that time approaches more closely, but that's just uh, Coach Rob piping in there. So if 
what's well first of all like what's the best way for somebody who might be interested in talking you to you to reach out and like what does that first conversation look like because i think what's you know what do you do to kind of get over that you know because some people who might be listening say hey phil sounds like a great guy to <laughs> work with but he just said that he has a business that's 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 filling up yeah um well and, if, and I can, don't, if i if i might can, hesitate to reach out yeah uh, well i'll just give the short commercial then uh the phone number is 678-218-5925 that's the phone number to the office you can go to appellacapital.com that's a p e l l a capital c a p i t a l and there's an atlanta office location page Schedule 15 minutes with me. Um, the initial step, I think, in any advisory uh, relationship has to just be a very casual conversation. I want to get to know what you're looking for. You want to have a, a forum to ask me whatever you need to ask. So a 15-minute conversation can accomplish that. If after that point we agree to explore it further, then, you know, we might dig in for, you know, 30, 45 minutes you know, potentially an hour and then discover again, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? What have you done to this point? What maybe keeps you up at night? What do you think is going well? What do you think is not going well? And then if I can point you in a better direction, then we might have, uh, you know, uh, reason to continue the conversation. So I'll be sure to put your contact info in the show notes, but I want to, um, again, just point out, I think the, what I think is really important that whether it's Phil or somebody else, it could be a future guest on this podcast that you want to talk to. The best thing that you can do, if you like the way that somebody talks about the way they might serve you is to spend 15 minutes with them and really get to know them because that's the real key. So Phil, we're at the end of our time. I have one last question. One last question. If you could leave the audience with one piece of advice, what would it be? And uh, I almost want to tell you that it needs to be what your grandfather told you, but um, I asked you the question. I'm not answering it for you. Yeah, you just did. You know, I think you got it for the for the bigger picture. Um, we're all in some ways cogs in the wheel. So do the right thing. Uh, do the right thing for yourself, your family, and others. And yeah, stay in there and pitch. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. Uh, that's something that I have learned in so many different ways, and we all have. The big difference is, do you lay down or crawl up into the fetal position in the corner, or do you get up, dust yourself off, and then do it again? You know, if we're having a baseball analogy, you know, if you go to the plate 10 times in the major leagues, these are the best ball players in the world. And if they go to the plate 10 times and they hit it two and a half or three times on average out of 10, that is a heck of a season. If you're consistent enough to string that along for six, seven, eight seasons, that's a really big contract and a trip to Cooperstown. So just don't give up. Keep going. Because guess what? Life's not fair. It's going to knock you down. Those that get back up, they do the right thing. They stay in there and pitch. Guess what? They're the ones that are going to have the World Series ring, just like the Atlanta Braves did last year. <laughs> you had to put that in there. There's a guy whose team hasn't been, uh, hasn't won a World Series in my uh, in my lifetime. But I won't uh, I won't end on a negative. I want to end on a positive. So, Phil, as you bring us to a close, um, 
I just want to tell you how much I think you really represent what I consider to be a truest fan. I know how much you believe in yourself, how much you really care for and believe in those around you. And you really like to spread that good word by doing as your grandfather instructed and just stay in there, keep pitching and doing it right with a smile on your face. I, I think that is just um, an awesome way to be. And I am um, proud to know you for being that uh, that person. So thanks for being on this. Um, I was I keep wanting to say the inaugural um, edition of the podcast, but just the first podcast of Truest Fan where I've invited in a guest. Couldn't think of a better person to have on board. I'm happy to be here, Rob. Thank you so much for all you've done for me, my team, and my family. Oh, you're so welcome. Okay, take care, Phil. Thank you. 